Shameless Picture Show is part of the Cinepunks Network. If you like the Shameless Picture Show and you want to hear other great shows like it, make sure you check out the Cinepunks Network. You can find them at www.cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's other great shows such as Cinepunks. There's the Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Fat Girl Hacks, Loud Fast Philly, Tomb of Ideas, and Twitch of the Death Nerve, and so much more. If you like punk rock and you like movies, make sure to go to www.cinepunks.com. And let's not forget the sponsors for the Cinepunks Network. We have the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley with service to the whole country, professional and personable in a way that only a DIY business can be. They also have ridiculously low prices for whatever your screen printing needs may be. You can visit them online at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We also have the Essex Coffee Roasters. They're, all their coffee is roasted to order. They have high-quality beans, bunch of apparel, and tea available. They are bringing high-quality coffee to the masses without the pretentiousness. Use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. You can visit them at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. That's E-S-S-E-X, coffeeroasters.com. Once again, use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. Big shout out to the band Crossed Keys uh, for lending us that awesome fucking music during our little ad. That song is called Who We Never Were. You can buy that single currently off of Bandcamp. The band is called Crossed Keys. It will be on their full-length album, Believes in You. Uh, that song was lent to me by Crossed Keys, specifically, uh, I don't know if he goes by Joey Angel or goes by Joshua Alvarez, but I met him as Joshua Alvarez. He's the co-host of Cinepunks, our fucking network. And I told him, I love this song, I want to use it, so that way people don't have to just listen to me talk. And he said, fuck yeah. So please, if you like the song, uh, the song's called Who We Never Were, you can get that on Bandcamp currently. Uh, it's off of their album Believes in You. You can get the 10 song. The 10 song LP is out May 5th, Friday, May 5th. Uh, you can actually order it on vinyl right now. So go show them some love. This episode is also brought to you by Paramount Pictures. Paramount Pictures is a legendary producer and global distributor of filmed entertainment since 1912. Paramount Pictures Library consists of more than 1,000 film titles with rights to an additional 2,500, featuring films by Hollywood's most respected filmmakers, including Martin Scorsese, J.J. Abrams, and Michael Bay, among others. Paramount Pictures Library consists of more than 1,000 films, including such classics as Star Trek, Godfather, and Indiana Jones franchises. Academy Award winners Braveheart, Forrest Gump, and Titanic, and current favorites such as The Mission Impossible and Transformers franchises. Paramount Pictures distributes its titles on DVD and Blu-ray through Paramount Home Entertainment. We are happy to have them. We fucking love Paramount Pictures. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Byers, and t- today I have a very special guest. Today we welcome the always lovely Katie Cadaver to the show. For those of you who aren't familiar with Miss Cadaver, she is a jack-of-all-trades. Some of you know her as the creative visionary behind the horror-themed burlesque troupe Grindhouse Tees. Some of you horror fanatics who frequent conventions may have run in, may have had a run-in with her at the trauma table as she is Milwaukee's premier traumat. And most recently, however, she and Owen Brand have dipped their hand in the world of podcasting. And while their show, The VHS Vault, is still new, it's capturing the imagination of many and can be currently heard on YouTube, Spotify, and Planet Rage Radio. Yes. Hi, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. How'd I do? I was, Dude, that was a great intro. Like, you I was trying to fit that. everything in. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It was perfect. So You do, you do good work. Thank you. Thank you. I, I try. Um it, it helps that I'm, you know, I know you were friends. So like, I can like just rack my brain for all of the accomplishments that you've had. Uh, it gets a little more tricky sometimes when I've had uh, guests on. I was like, Oh man, I don't know this person very well. And I don't want to like, I, I don't want to ask them like, what are you, what are you about? Send, just tell them to send you their bio. Yeah. That's yeah. You send me your bio. Yeah. I like and to you didn't even ask me because you already know my bio. Yeah. So. I know your bio. I, and I like to, to see if I can do some research first, but um, Smart. so as I said, you know, you, you, you're, you you do grindhouse teas. You, uh, you're there. May, maybe there's another Tromet in Milwaukee that I don't know about, but I'm sticking with Milwaukee's premier Tromet. I am the premier. You might Milwaukee. be the only Tromet too. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> not, not including people who have jumped in and been a Tromet for a day, but you are consistently a Troma. I am. And I will be with Troma coming up in Indianapolis at Horror Hound and Mask Fest. Uh, Troma will be there with Lloyd signing autographs. So, uh, you know, come and see me over there. It's going to be a good time. That's um, August 18th through the 20th in downtown Indianapolis at the Indiana Convention Center. I was hoping to go this time, but we have some big trips coming up. So we had to you know, priorities, Michael. I mean, really. Yeah. Horror conventions should be a priority. But I don't have to tell you that. You know. already know. I'm going to see my grandmother who I haven't seen in eight years. So I feel like that's Gra- kind of... Pretty- grandma's a whore hound. What's the problem? Uh, she's in Virginia. And I don't know if she'd ever left the mountain. <laughs> well... Actually, there's... no, no. She left one time to go to Dolly World. So I know oh, at least fair. once she went to Dolly World. Well, she'd love horror hound. I mean, she... I think I think she would get a kick out of it. Um, I bet. Yeah, um, and then maybe I'm, next time, next year, maybe we'll, in March, and then next take year, her to Cincinnati. I'm hoping to go to to March, um, to the March one. We've we've already talked about it, and then next year I'm going to Alaska. <gasps> what? Yeah, are you? Yeah, for what? Um, Amanda's best friend, Dusty. Uh, she lived with us for about a year. Yeah. Um. Uh. She moved out to Alaska. Nice. And um. Yeah, they live out there now, and we've been wanting to go see them, and they bought our ticket, which is awesome. Wow, that's yeah. dope. Yeah, that's so fun. we're gonna oh. we're gonna go to Alaska, and it's, we're going in, we're going in January, so maybe Holy after shit. coming back from Alaska cold, it'll feel warm here. That's, oh my god, that's my hope. Yeah, no, honey, you're supposed to go to Alaska in July. I know, but ticket prices are January. better in the winter when no one wants I'm to sure. go. Because everybody's like, fuck, they're trying to get out of Alaska in January, not go there. Everything I know about Alaska, I learned from watching the Simpsons movie. And uh, <laughs> uh, Dusty's partner that lives there with him uh, confirmed that that's pretty accurate. So I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty good. 
Well, you better bring your parka. That's all I know. They'll probably have to double up in the parkas. <laughs> yeah. One carry on and one checked. Pretty parka. much. So by the time this comes out, this will be a little bit more topical. Um, sure. You are um, getting gearing up for finishing the first season of the VHS Vault. Correct. That's right. That's right. We are looking to have uh, 20 episodes in the can by the time we're, we've got season one wrapped up. And we're hoping to have everything wrapped up and aired, uh, you know, by mid-September. So tell me about the VHS vault. Give me give me the elevator pitch as if you pretend I don't know anything about this thing. Okay. Well, uh, the VHS vault podcast is basically just a couple of horror movie lovers getting together, talking about, um, you know, some of these forgotten films, you know, movies that you maybe haven't seen since you were watching VHS tapes as a kid or whatever, you know, or stuff that just hasn't seen the light of day in a long time. And uh, my co-host Owen Brand, he actually collects, collects VHS tapes. So he's got quite a collection for us to choose from lots of stuff that, you know, he's bought and hasn't even seen himself. He's been waiting to watch it with somebody. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I know how you, um, Collectors of physical media role, trust me. <laughs> I've had my run-ins with plenty of y'all, so I know how that goes. But he's got tons of tapes that need watching and and that we want to talk about. And, you know, we connected over horror movies. That's what brought us together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our, our relationship started because we love a lot of the same movies. And, and that's what brought us together. So, um, you know, being able to talk about it in a format such as a podcast, gives us an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper than we might in a regular conversation, gives us an opportunity to share it with other people and get feedback. Um, and, you know, kind of just sort of scream into the void about um, old tapes that, you know, <laughs> maybe have been collecting dust somewhere down in the vault. Um, and we also have some short episodes where we kind of talk about all matter of things having to do with horror movies. I've been, We've I've done been digging episodes. into some of those lately and those yeah. are fun. Yeah, those are fun little listens. Um, they, they're just, you know, anywhere from like five minutes to 45 minutes, depending on what our topic is. We've done uh, like a bracket style um, movie selection episode. We've done um, like talking about our favorite kills in horror movies. And, and Owen does a lot of great stuff with the editing. He'll bring up, you know, for our YouTube um, channel. He'll bring up clips from the movies and trailers and stuff like that to watch. So uh, it's a lot of fun to just listen to us, you know, babble about movies if you're into that sort of thing. And one thing that's so beautiful about the way your show operates, because I've, I've, I don't know if I listened to every episode, but I've gotten pretty close. I've been kind of moving around with them a little bit. Sure. Um, what is so beautiful about your show? So while I was giving you shit before you were on, on Spotify about like how hard it was sometimes to listen, uh, to it on YouTube, there's yes. a certain beauty to it being on YouTube because for those of you who are out there, like I listen to most of my podcasts when I'm walking the dogs or when I'm driving to and from work, but I have found I like watching yours more so like when I'm on lunch or something when I can actually watch the show because uh-huh. as I was saying, what's so beautiful about the show is there's a couple things, but one thing that I really enjoy about it is the fact that Owen's adding these clips to it. Um, and he's not just adding audio like we occasionally do on this show. Like He, he legitimately adds full scenes. And, yes. you know, up until you guys get sued for doing so, it's a great <laughs> idea because there's, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch Decapitated. But sure. I feel like I've watched Decapitated because I've seen the things that are worth watching 
fun yeah. decapitate. I just like saying decapitate. It's fun to say. Um, it's a fun one. Yeah. So it's like you know, it's not like you know the last picture show or Citizen Kane. It's not one of those movies that I feel like I need to move up my watch list. But hearing two people who are passionate for or against it, uh, <laughs> um, and seeing some of the better moments from from the movies makes it feel like I've watched it. And what I've also been enjoying about the show too, is one, you both come at it from two very different worlds of knowledge. Like mm-hmm. um, you're both horror fans, but you both have your realms of interest. Yes. Um, you know, for the things that Owen really likes, he is kind of an expert on those and the things that you're more of an expert on, like Italian films, which is topical for today's episode, mm-hmm. you know, and it's fun for both of you kind of to discover what the other one's about and yeah. um, and that's what I, what's been fun for me is because you both kind of come in with it with your own sense of knowledge and and understanding. But then um, you guys will feed off of each other. And even when uh-huh. you haven't necessarily, it's it almost reminds me of this show a little bit. Where even when you haven't necessarily liked something, one of you, mm-hmm. you still try to find something that was that it wasn't a for waste sure. of your time. For sure, yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about. Owen and I talking about movies because, um, you know, we're, we're close in age. We have similar tastes, but yet, you know, we grew up on two completely separate parts of the country. Mm -hmm. So some of like our culture is different, Mm -hmm. you know, what sort of brought us to some of these films is a little different, but, um, you know, we find that we like a lot of the same things about, you know, so when we talk about movies, like we're not probably ever going to cover like the, the Friday the 13th movies or whatever. Cause like a lot of people are talking about those, those aren't necessarily, you know, movies from the vault. They're pretty popular, but in our short episodes, we'll talk about certain aspects of these more popular horror movies. And like, you know, when we were coming into horror as kids, you know, what kind of uh, stood out to us or, you know, things like that. And, and we really get to share, you know, sort of like our origins uh, around this kind of stuff and how it's it's different, but it's the same, you know, sort of different sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I really enjoy. And for some reason, we just have a really awesome chemistry talking about this stuff and, and being able to do it like on the mic. You know, it's one thing to sit and have a conversation with somebody, but he and I are really able to do it in a way that is conducive to a podcast. So that's really exciting for both of us, I think. Yeah, especially because like you've been on enough podcasts now, and now especially that you're 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 co-hosting one, it can sometimes be intimidating just to stare at a microphone, or in our case, just staring at a computer screen mm-hmm. and try to find an organic thing to talk about. Or oh yeah, and or I'm sure you've watched a movie that you're going to be covering, and after watching it, you're like man, we're going to get like 10 minutes out of this. And then you end up getting more. Like Uh there's definitely uh, back when Nick was on the show, there's been movies where we both sat down and be like, all right, let's see what we can do out of this. And then sometimes our best conversations will come from that. So absolutely. I've always described podcasting as, is it can be therapy in a way, even if you're not necessarily like airing out your dirty laundry or whatever, but sometimes just talking through something. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't like something, and you don't quite know why. Sometimes just talking yes. it through can get you to that point. Totally. And and I do have to say, this is Owen's first time ever doing a podcast. That's surprising. Like, 
ever, ever, right? He sounds like a pro. Um, he's got so, a good, he's got a good podcast voice. He does, he does, and we he plays around with it quite a bit. We joke about his his voice acting, you know. <laughs> but you got to listen to the show, you know, to get those little um, inside jokes. And I do the same thing; like I talk differently on this than I do personally. Right. Well, and it's just it's fun for us. We don't take it too seriously, but we do get a lot of really great content out of our conversations. You know, I think it's partially it's what we're talking about. Um, but it's, and it, the other part of it is like how we talk to each other and just sort of how, how that works together. And like you said, you can think you don't have anything to say. Like we have an upcoming episode that's coming out soon. That's like that, where it's like, I don't, neither one of us really liked the movie, but I don't know. We still got like 45 minute episode out of it. So we found enough to talk about, you know, we may have gone on several tangent tangents, but I think people like to hear us talk yeah. too. So especially if it's related in some way, like if, sometimes yeah. tangents that are based around a movie can be just as equally interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's any number of tangents that we, we can go down at any time. So <laughs> there's no, no um, shortage of that for sure. Perfect. And uh, so um, besides, you know, just someone going because you've got how many episodes have been released thus far? Twelve? Um, At this point, as we're recording, I think we're I think we're only up to episode eight. Oh, wow. I thought there was more than that. Um, Let me see. Let me look at my notes. I actually have it jotted down here in my notes. Well, what I, the reason I'm asking, because, you know, thankfully, your show is still so new that someone can go and catch up very easily. It's not like my show where we've done 150 yes. episodes. But if, yeah, someone, eight episodes so far. if someone had to just jump in, if you think like, what is an episode that you think is very indicative of what the show is? You know, that like, what's a good entry point for someone? Like me and Nick always said our, we thought our entry episode was, I think it was season one, episode five, Daddy Issues, where we both really kind of like uh-huh. talk about our love for movies and how we got to this point. Um, so like, what if, if you had to pick one episode, be like, you know, this is what we're about. What would you pick? Well, based on the episodes that are currently released, I mean, we have several in the can that still need to be edited and, you know, released and I know stuff. How that but is. Yeah. Based on what's out already, um, the selection episode is a really fun one. Um, that's like, I don't know, like a 40 minute episode or something where, you know, we try to convince the other one about the next movie that we want to cover. And I don't know. I forget how many I brought to the table. Usually you bring many. extra more, more than, more yes, than the, I rules always the rules allow. Yeah. That's what, that's what I do. Um, but we bring these movies to the table and we try to convince the other person. And so a lot of it is, you know, talking about why, why we want to watch this movie or cover this movie or why we think the other person needs to see it, stuff like that. So that's a really good, that is our uh, episode six is the selection episode. And then the other one that was really fun, episode eight, our favorite kills where we highlight favorite kills from that movies. That was a fun one. Yeah. That a lot of screaming in that one, yes. as you pointed out. <laughs> uh, and again, it just gives you a feel kind of for what we like as individuals, like what, um, what we're drawn to kind of what makes us tick around horror movies. And we got some other episodes, short episodes like that coming out. The shorts are really good for getting to know us as 
you know, your hosts. Whereas um, when we do like a full movie review, that's we're more focused on that particular movie and elements of the film. But those short episodes is kind of how you can get to know us a little bit. So it's kind of two different feels. If you're looking for a short, quick, personal episode, those shorts are really good for that. And then, of course, if you want to hear about a movie, we got those two. Can I throw out a suggestion for a topic episode? I'm sure you I'm sure it's already been brainstormed already, but I mean, you can throw out suggestions. We're we're looking for ideas for season 2. Like I said, so. I'm sh- I'm sure this has been discussed at some point knowing you and then the little bit I know about Owen, but it feels like a very logical episode to do um favorite music moments. Oh know? yeah. Absolutely. Whether it be like needle drops, you know, something like, you know, Return of the Living Dead where it's songs by popular artists or just yes. favorite score. Like absolutely, uh, Owen composed the the theme song for the VHS. He program. did. Do you he not? composed our theme song and our spoiler warning uh, <laughs> little ditty. I like that. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is quite the musician, and uh, again, uh, uh, an unlikely pairing. I I'm much more into like heavy metal and punk rock and stuff like that, and uh, he's an outlaw country singer, so <laughs> it's it's a different dichotomy, but. Again, we find a lot of common ground in music, you know, just because he's a country musician doesn't mean his roots aren't in punk rock and, uh, you know, alternative music and stuff. So, oh, yeah, there's a lot of country musicians who like I think uh, Waylon Jennings was a big Mm -hmm. supporter of the punk rock music scene. Oh, the 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 pipeline from punk rock to to country music is, you know, pretty much a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of the same stuff and especially the kind of stuff he's doing and um yeah, he's really super duper talented, and I'm so grateful for his musical contributions because, I don't know, we'd have some generic theme song from some who knows what, you know, like what would we use for music. We'd have to try to hunt something down, and instead he sat down and composed something himself in a night yeah. and put it together. It was like the next morning, he's like, I got this, and it's like, and actually, I was one, I was wondering about that. I didn't know if that was something he had in the can already or if he no. He made it like in one night. So I, good. I'm telling I, you. I, that song gets stuck in my head every time yeah. I every time I watch an episode, and then I'm just humming that for the rest of the day. Well, it's a it's a nice little ditty, and like I said, if people should go check him out, Owen Brand music, uh, check out his stuff, especially if you're into country music and into like I don't I forget what they call, it, but he's he basically just plays his, it's him and his guitar, and you know, he, he puts out some really awesome stuff. So go check him out. He's all over YouTube and Facebook yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I, since he used to post all the VHS vault episodes under his own page, I'm still subscribed yes. to him. So I still get all the notifications when he posts new stuff. Um, but no, uh, I think everyone should be listening to the VHS vault, especially if you, if you like what I'm doing here, I think you'll find a lot that you like from that podcast. And I would agree. Uh, yeah. I think we're, we're like cousins yeah. in terms of our podcasts. Very similar. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm already brainstorming ideas for one day when I come on the show, about what I'd want. Yes. We're going to have you on. Uh, I'm hoping that it, we, we can do that in season two. We yeah. are looking to start recording season two, probably sometime mid to late September. Yeah, And with enough notice, I can drive up to the studio or wherever you guys are recording. Yeah, for sure. All right. So is there anything else you want to talk about with the uh, VHS vault or your own um, endeavors, whether that be Grindhouse Tees or anything else before we talk about the movie? 
Well, you know, I don't have a ton on the docket, but I do want to tell people to head over to our Facebook page for Grindhouse Tees. We are going to have a show announcement coming up here. Um, maybe by the time this is out, the, the show will be announced already, uh, but I'm keeping it a little hush-hush at the moment until we get things finalized. But we got a fun show coming up that will be early fall, so people can... Uh, go check out our page and stay updated on that kind of stuff. Come and see me at Horror Hound um, if the if it has not already passed by the time this is aired. I'm hoping um, this will be out right. I'm hoping I'm hoping this will be out mid uh, mid August. Okay, yeah. So Horror Hound is the 18th through the 20th of August. So <laughs> if uh, if you didn't miss me at Horror Hound, come and see me. Um, yeah, and please just follow the VHS Vault on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple. Uh, no, I don't think we're on Apple Music yet, but we're working on it. Um, Amazon Music, wherever. There's other places that we are, too. YouTube, yeah, of course. And it's, um, you also find out, like, once you get on one place, it starts to become, like, easier just to pop up everywhere else, too. Yep, yep. So just go search for us on your podcast listening app of choice. And hopefully we're there. And if not, shoot us an email at vhsvaultpodcast at gmail.com and let us know where you'd like to find us. And we'll try to get over there for you. And like I said, I also think the uh, the YouTube version is kind of a fun of ex- a fun experience in its own. Because it is. you're kind of watching along with, with it's yeah, I like it. I like it. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah, you can make, always It's harder it. to make time for it, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're always at you over at YouTube. You know, if that's the the least you can do, we're over there. But we're on Spotify too, and that's that's easy to throw us in your pocket and just listen. Definitely. Um, so as I said, be sure to check out uh, the VHS Vault. But the reason I have Katie Cadaver here on the show today is not just to talk about the VHS Vault. That's part of it. On today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we are crossing a movie off my shame list, which happens to be one of Katie Cadaver's favorite films. Yes. It has gone by many names, but I watched it under the title Beyond the Darkness because I cannot pronounce the Italian version. The Italian title is Buio Omega. Buio. Mm. Buio Omega. I keep wanting to say buoy. Buio. So I'm just going to stick with Beyond the Darkness because I struggle with Beyond the Darkness is fine. I'm a little bit of a stickler with Italian films. I like to call them by their Italian titles, but that's just me. Um, Beyond the Darkness is totally acceptable. I like it better than Buried Alive. I do too because Buried Alive is like a total spoiler. Definitely. But anyways. Oh, and actually, funny enough, when I was researching this film the thing i kept running into is since the title the names for the characters in the version i watched was was dubbed is different than the their actual names i'm gonna be floating in and out between character names between their italian version and what their names were in the dubbed version so they're the character names not the yeah because like like for example francesco it was just frank okay or like uh anna um i think is her is the dubbed version of her name Whereas it's um, uh, uh, Eleanor, I think, in the or one, it's one the of the it's one of, yeah, well, his the girlfriend is Eleanor. Yeah, the and girlfriend. Anna is the is our our main our main girlfriend. Yes, and um, so you know, I might be sw- flipping in and out between character names. Well, that'll well. be fun for me to figure out because I don't know that I know the Italian names, you know, because I've only ever watched like an English dubbed version. Yeah. And that's what I watched too. But when I was like, you know, researching the movie, you know, oh, I just kept saying, okay. seeing Francesco instead of Frank, but. Gotcha. Okay. Crazy. So that was in your research. I follow you. Yes. Okay. 
But anyways, living on a luxurious estate in the Italian countryside, Frank spends his days as a taxidermist and quite a skilled one, too. Upon finding out his girlfriend has died, Frank rushes to the hospital to mourn. Frank can't live without the love of, the love of Anna and feels there is something that can be done. Under the cover of nightfall, Frank excavates her body and brings her to his estate to preserve said body the only person who knows about this in about his indiscretions is the housekeeper iris because anyone else who dares get close to his secret is met with a gruesome end equal parts sleazy gore fest and italian art house with some gothic horror sprinkled on top joe diamato's beyond the darkness or blue omega has been a fan favorite upon its release despite its diminishing returns at the box office part of what made the film stand out was its incredible gore effects diomato states that he was never good at creating suspense but gore he could do and pig and sheep butcher scraps were used to create the film's wild gore effects i think he even said there were there was no uh effects guy in this movie they're just using shit they got from the butcher there was a guy um I don't have my notes with his name on it, though. Uh, I'm sure they had someone, but I think he was um, he was being a little facetious, a little cheeky with that response. uh, Perhaps. But I was going to say, I'm pretty sure there was a guy. Oh, yeah, I'm (laughs) sure there was. But Beyond the Darkness is based on the Italian film The Third Eye from 1966 and was written by screenwriter. Oh, I'm going to fuck up all these names. Ottavio Fabri with music by Italian prog rock band Goblin. For some reason, their their credit is goblins in the in the credits. And annoying yeah, yeah, that's a thing they do. Yep. Whoops. Beyond the Darkness stars Kiernan Cantor, Cinzia Morial, Franca Stoppi, and Sam Modesto from nineteen I think nineteen eighty six, directed by Joe D'Amato. Actually, Oops. it's seventy nine, oh, and then a re release in eighty six. That's probably what I'm getting confused by. Well, yeah. from 1979 slash 1986, directed by Joe D'Amato, who also serves as the film's cinematographer, this is Beyond the Darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are easily frightened, we advise you not to watch this film. On the other hand, if you enjoy the violent emotions, this film is for you. place than in your truck. Sometimes I could kill you, Iris. Just once. I want you to make love to me before I die. You mustn't speak like that. Death has no power to separate us. You swore you'd never come back into this room again. I want to stay here alone with my mother. Frank, your mother's dead. So is Anna. Yeah. <laughs> 
get rid of your stupid little toy. Do you understand me, Frank? No! <laughs> you will, though. You'll see. You'll do it. The <laughs> young girl was reported missing three days ago. When last seen, she was in this area. Did you see anyone then? No. Who are you? Police. If you enjoy the violent emotions, this film is for you. first started uh, becoming friends around the time that I was on uh, Inside Movies Galore. Yes. We started just talking about uh, our mutual admiration for Italian horror. Um, you had seen a lot more than I have, uh, or at least some lot more obscure ones than I have. Um, and this was one of the ones that you had mentioned. And being familiar with Joe D'Amato, he's one of those figures that if you research the genre of Italian horror enough, you cannot help but see his name pop up you know films like you know anthropophagus and um you know myriad of others it's hard not to be familiar with him funny enough i had always thought i had seen some of his films i don't think i had up until this point funny enough well same um when i heard about this movie i had never seen any of D'Amato's work before. Um, and his, his actual, his real name is Aristide Massasesi. Yeah. I know that you'll have a hard time pronouncing that one. So oh, I'll yeah. just do it for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so in case you see that name credited, that's him too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's done a lot of erotic horror films, which is totally up my alley and mm-hmm. something that I need to explore more of. Um, Severin has at least one or two, two titles right now um that are in my cart um and uh he's there's they also have another like almost like a documentary about him but um he's an interesting director and i think like you were talking about with the gore effects like that that's really his strength in this film particularly um the storyline it goes okay the plot goes all right there's not a ton of suspense but but the gore is absolutely on point and he he talks about wanting this film to be something that will make you sick to your stomach. And I think mm-hmm. he absolutely achieves that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And like I said, he is one of those figures in the world of, of horror and exploitation genre. Because these, these Italian directors, they don't stick to one thing. Pretty much wherever right. the paycheck is coming from, they, they jump to. Um, like I've seen movies that he has produced, like or written. You know, like I've seen two of the La Casa films, Ghost House and The Witchery, and then he was also cinematographer on. Um, um, I cannot think of the name of the film. I think it's like this strange case of the something door. I don't remember, but oh, oh yeah. Um, but I think this is the first true film I've seen that he directed, and when the movie began. You know, I was I was kind of like thinking, kind of talking about or thinking kind of what you were just saying, where as the story first starts progressing, I was like, you know, this is this is fine. 
Um, it's like it's kind of what I expect because a lot of these Italian films they sometimes have a similar vibe, a similar feeling, um, and a lot of times story is not always their strong point. <laughs> so, right. Does not right. say that some of them don't have great stories, but that's not really their strong point. But as the movie started progressing. And the weirdness just really started seeping in. I started kind of getting an idea of why this movie is so talked about. Because it's it's weird, it's gory, but it's still strangely like, accessible. Like, it doesn't go so far that I feel guilty for watching it. But it's still strange sure. enough. Yeah. I mean, it. Let's, let's be real, Michael. It's weird as fuck. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's got oh yeah, one hundred percent, all kinds of weird shit. But it's still watchable. It still it pulls you in. Um, Owen and I did an episode on the VHS vault about Boy Omega as well. And has that been released yet? It. What's that? Has that been released yet? Yes. Oh well, then I'll have to go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, you you will. Um, and he talks about how um, you know at first the the feel of the movies like you know kind of that washed out 70s he's like ah, i wasn't really feeling it but i don't know if we were 10 15 minutes in and he was like sold on it just because you know what comes up right away it's it like it gets into it pretty quick so. yeah because it's 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 it kind of it 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 doesn't necessarily take its time to where it's going but if you go into this movie blind i don't think people are expecting where it goes because you know you get a little bit of weirdness at the beginning with the the iris and the woman at the voodoo doll but like when you have frank going to visit his his you know dead lover and it's um it almost feels like a drama at first because yeah it, like a soap like a soap opera yeah because like, it doesn't hospital especially yeah because it doesn't really like give you an idea of how fucking weird this movie's gonna get yeah, I think, where do we get, you know, it, it starts getting weird. I mean, when he, like, well, we start with, like, the whole voodoo thing. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us a little air of of uh, something supernatural is going on. Um, and then, you know, we get a couple little hints to how weird this is going to get when Frank's, you know, says, like, death has no power to separate us. You know, it's like these little clues, these little hints when he's talking to Anna, she's dying, you know? Um, yep, and they establish but, early with the, you know, with the taxidermy and yes, yes. It's like nothing good ever comes of a tax- taxidermist in a horror movie. Oh, be real. hell no. <laughs> but I think really where it takes the left turn is, uh, you know, after Anna dies and he's depressed about it, sitting in his room and good old Iris, the, the housekeeper comes up and, uh, you know, offers her, um, services. For a suckle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he sucks her titty right there. Uh, and it's like, Oh yeah, this is getting weird. And he doesn't this even question it too. Cause like, at the, at, cause also thinking like when that happens, we don't really even know what the relationship between Iris and Frank is. We don't right. know. Is she family? Is she just, you know, like, we don't know anything. So it just, it just, it just starts off by getting, like, getting pretty weird. Especially because, you know, he's mourning his girlfriend. He doesn't really fight back either when, when, when Iris does Yeah, he's all in. He leans right into that. Absolutely. And then, like, the relationship between Frank and Iris I found so fascinating throughout this film because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, 
It's dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. <laughs> no, exactly. And, you know, Frank doesn't want anything to do with Iris until he wants something. Right. And Iris, I kept flip-flopping. I couldn't tell. It was like, does she actually care about Frank? Does she just want to get with him for the money? Like, where is she coming from? But ultimately, I just kept feeling like she was a tragic figure. I felt yeah. bad for her more so than I did for Frank because the, the entire film was like, Frank, you're fucking weird, man. Yeah, he was kind of a weirdo. But Iris, you know, she's over responsible. She's like, she's a better murderer than he is, honestly. Oh, yeah. Or she's better at cleaning it up anyway. A yeah. Better disposal. Oh, and I, I love person. that. I love that scene too when, um, you know, when they kind of create their accord when he is killed that hitchhiker and she comes in and sees what's going on and he pretty much says, you know, we, we can do whatever, but, you know, she has to, you know, Anna has to stay. And just, uh-huh. like, Iris just fucking goes into her mode and starts like chopping up the bodies and just casually throw them into the bathtub as Frank's pouring the acid in. And Frank's face through that entire scene, I think, is so telling because it's oh, like, yeah. I think he's just as shocked by how com- he's the taxidermist and she's the one who's far more comfortable. Uh huh. She's like a badass bitch in that scene. And and I just, you know, have to put this out there as I do every time I talk about this movie. The Hitchhiker is my favorite character in this film. Oh, she's great. Because that's who I want to play if they ever remake it. Like, please, can I be the weed-smoking hitchhiker that gets her fingernails torn off and gets to be uh, the most iconic disposal of the film? Oh, yeah. It's so fucking good. Um, yeah. She also had the best titties of everybody. That's that's true. (laughs) So, like I said, um, putting it out there, I'd like to play. (laughs) If anyone remakes Beyond the Darkness, contact Katie Cadaver. Yes, Um, yes, please. But like that—that was my biggest takeaway watching this. It's just like I said, Iris for me is it was the most sympathetic character, and then just she was fucking ready to go Um, when those cops were snooping around. They would have yep. they would have figured it out so fast that she wouldn't have stepped in and fixed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was cleaning up his messes, you know, literally and figuratively. You know, she was, and and I kind of relate to Iris, um, being that you know that housekeeper, that badass bitch that has to like show up and fucking fix some man's blunders. You know, that's what she was doing, and she really, I think, wanted him. That yeah. was her motivation. She was all about him. Uh, because she went to do the voodoo to get his mm-hmm. fiance girlfriend killed. Um, so I think to make room for her, you know, she was really, and both of them are nutcases. So it's yeah, like perfect kind of a good match. If you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Like for me, that was the true story was the relationship between Frank and Iris. It wasn't Frank. Uh-huh. And, we don't get to know Anna at any point. Nah, we just, not at all. You know, that's the reason I didn't necessarily believe this unrequited love. It's not like the abominable Dr. Fives where, while we didn't get to know Fives, wife either. I felt his passion in that movie. Frank mm-hmm. just feels like a weird fucking guy. And it's yeah. really just like, it's, to me, he felt like he did this just because like, I don't want to date again. Let's just, you know, she was good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, it was, he's, uh, I don't know. He's got problems. He probably needs therapy. Iris needs a little therapy. She's doing too much. You know, it's, it's kind of a dysfunctional relationship. I feel like Frank is so bad at this. It's like, okay, you didn't try harder to get that hitchhiker out of your van. and But then when you got home, you just left her there. Right. When you're going to go, you know, chop up your girlfriend and everything. Like you, or yeah. you know, preserve your girlfriend. Um and you're just going to leave her there? Like, 
she's gonna wake up and be really fucking hungry if she smoked that much. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, it was not not well planned out. He had one focus and one focus only. Didn't care about the sleeping bitch in his van. No. And I mean, she also didn't do a really good job of getting away from him when she had a chance to escape and she turned around and ran back, which is how she ended up getting her fingernails pulled off. You know, it was just a lot of bad choices had by everybody. But that's probably our most um, amazing scene of the film. The gore effects in that scene, you know, as you mentioned before, top notch, Uh you know, and I think... Out of all of, I mean, and I've seen a lot of fucking horror movies. I'm a gore horror, so I'm watching for this kind of stuff. And this one, especially for an Italian film of that era, nails it. I mean, the blood looks amazing. The And like you said, they used real um, guts from a butcher. And, you know, it was really in how all of that was shot uh-huh. that I think made it what it was, you know, in that era, you're not zooming in on flesh cuts and stuff because you're cutting through fake latex or whatever. But in this one, they were able to get, you know, that pig skin and really cut into it. And it looked real as hell. And just the way it was shot and the way the sounds, the, the guts oh, the smattering. Work is the, so good. Yeah. The pail of entrails with the, the metal bucket with the guts dropping into it, the, um, brains being sucked out of her nose. Oh, that sound in that, yeah. that sequence was just so grotesque. And like, I remember because uh-huh. uh, um, Amanda was um, like playing The Sims or something when I was watching this. And at one point, I go, Is that how they remove people's brains? It's, it's like, <laughs> it's the worst looking smoothie. Yeah, dude. Ugh. Yeah, super gross. And we get all of that, and it looks super real. Like, I'm sure back in the day, people absolutely believed that they really killed somebody. Yeah, because like, if you have people like, you know, Herschel Gordon Lewis in, in, in 1966 doing something like mm-hmm. Blood Feast, when, which I still love, but if you look back on it now, it doesn't hold up necessarily. But like, sure. like almost 15 years later, then they're just fucking chopping up pigs. Yeah, I'm sure people lost their fucking minds. Absolutely, absolutely, and it looked great. And really, what D'Amato nails around all of that is then we we move on to our disposal scene, which is fucking gross too. Like, arguably, the body disposals are a bigger deal than the kills in this film. Mm-hmm. You know how they dispose of the the killed people, um, and we get the iconic bathtub acid disposal scene with Iris's badass just chopping the shit out of this favorite bitch. scene in the movie Not, I'm just throwing it out there That's my yeah I mean scene. it's iconic and, and iconic imagery of her skull you know floating up in in the bathtub and whatever yeah, it's, it's on the blu-ray that I own. there it is yeah. there it is it's also on an enamel pin that I have on my vest um I also have a um air fresher hanging in my car with the same picture on it <laughs> it's so. so cool Iconic imagery. Thanks, Severin, for making that shit for me. <laughs> Not just for me, but feels like it was just for me. <laughs> but anyway, so we get all of that. We get that disgusting, like, taxidermy scene, and then the disposal of the hitchhiker, and then we get fucking dinner after that, some sloppy-ass dinner. Oh, that Irish scene was so gross. Shoveling it in her face. Yep. Well, if, if you didn't feel like puking after that, right? Like, and that was absolutely what D'Amato was trying to do. He was trying to gross people out. And I think he absolutely succeeded in how he put those scenes together 
and how they played off of one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very smart editing. Like so, from the little bit of uh, stuff that I read about Diamato, he seemed to be pretty. He knows he knows who he is. He knows what his skills are. But what mm-hmm. I don't think people are talking about enough is Diamato's. Um, granted, I just have this one movie to go off of. Uh, but his his juxtaposition of, of images and how he puts scenes together, or like I said, the reason that that bathtub scene is my favorite is not just because the gore effects in that scene are so great, but you have this really gory kind of hard to watch scene. But then you also just have these really interesting character dynamics at play. Mm-hmm. You start, you know, because up until that scene, you just believe that you might you believe that Frank might, uh, but he might be some, you know, cold hearted killer. And then you get to that scene and you realize, Oh, maybe he doesn't necessarily have the stomach for this that he thought he did, uh-huh. but Iris does. And there's just yeah. an interesting back and forth. And then when you're cutting, like you said, to that very next scene to see, just to show how fucking ruthless she is, where she's just yeah. in this gross slop and is unaffected by it. And Frank's uh-huh. like losing his lunch. Yes. Um, it's great. And then there's another, it's it's not necessarily it doesn't have the the shock value that this scene does, but there's another iconic dinner scene later on, which mm-hmm. is my r- reason for thinking that Iris is the most sympathetic character when she invites her, I guess, family and friends over for yes. like, their engagement, and yes. everyone is just kind of shit talking her in a way, like, oh, mm-hmm. we never thought Iris would be able to, you know, would would bag herself a rich man or anything like that, and. You start getting like, oh, this is why she's kind of fucked up because she has this family or, or friends, people who who she thought are close enough to invite to her engagement party don't even have much to say about her. Right. In a positive way. So And that's really how Frank treats her through this whole film. Yes. You know, she saves his ass over and over and he shits all over. You know, it's like she's a glutton for punishment. This is your this is your classic uh she needs some self-esteem, you know, she needs some therapy. <laughs> she needs to uh, take care of herself instead of trying to take care of everybody else. But, um, you know, I, I love the tension between the two of them in the bathtub scene, too, where mm-hmm. it's like, again, you can tell Iris is taking care of business and Frank is just like, he's a baby. He's not ready for all of this. And there's that tension between the two of them where she's just like, step up, dude. Like, we're doing this. And... She proves to be the badass, really. Yeah, and that's what I. These, 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 these elements combined with the um, the just intense gore are what I found myself really liking about this movie. Yeah, and the cannibalism adjacent, the yes. necrophilia adjacent shit that goes on, like. Yep. Yeah, like is it, there's that in. scene where he's like pulling out her her insides and he pulls the heart up and it's like he kisses it I'm like okay that's fucking weird but okay and then he like starts he, to like nibble he bites on it. that motherfucker yeah. he takes a bite out of that shit <laughs> and he also um when he kills the jogger he bites her face yeah i forgot about that uh-huh and he like chews that shit and swallows it <laughs> he doesn't just bite her he fucking eats her flesh so he's got some some weird tendencies there that start to come out as he starts killing more people. Yeah, and it's it's you mentioning how Iris is just both literally and figuratively cleaning up people's fucking messes becomes yes. even far more apparent because 
Frank, he like loses himself in like these, these like moments of like, I don't even want to call it a crime of passion. Cause that's giving him too much fucking credit. Um, these, yeah. he just kind of loses himself in these, in these furies and he does these things. And then once he kind of comes to and realizes what he did, he it's, he, he can't fucking handle it. Yep, and Iris is there to pick up the pieces, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and I or just stop up the pieces. I get the feeling that even before it's as it was as extreme as you know helping him clear out bodies. She's been doing this for ages. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's what endears her to him. I think mm-hmm. she feels a sense of responsibility over him and sense of ownership, and. You know, there's this weird Oedipus complex happening with him. So, yeah, it's, you know, you can really kind of dig in for this being a sleazy Italian horror movie. You can really kind of dig into these themes quite a bit. And I credit D'Amato with that. Yeah. And I've not seen the movie that it's because this is technically a remake of a movie called The Third Eye starring Franco Nero, which any of you Italian Western fans will know him as the original Django. Um, I've not seen that, but I would I'm really intrigued to go back and see that movie. And like, I know, like, it's not going to be the gore fest that this one is, but I'm really curious to see if any of these themes are present. Like I want I'm curious, like how much was was D'Amato adding? How much was laid out originally um because um i'm just i'm i'm really curious by that i'm really curious what kind of um world that this original piece Mm -hmm. established for us yeah i've actually not seen that either so that's a that's a good suggestion to like dig back into that original story yeah i have a feeling because like one thing i loved about um like i said in my intro you know, this movie is equal parts sleazy gore fest, but it also had a lot of art house moments to it. Mm-hmm. But what I loved about it is I also love this slight, like, gothic horror element to it. And I'm wondering if some of that might have been in that original film, because Italian I films in the, in the mid-60s all kind of had sure. that, that gothic feeling to it. And I always really, yeah. they've never been scary for me, but I've always found a... a, a those type of like gothic horror period pieces to be very fascinating. Part of that's probably because my favorite actor is Vincent Price. And he did pretty much exclusively. Oh yeah, ones. absolutely. And they just have a creep factor to them. Mm-hmm. Just, they're just creepy and that's fun. Yeah. Um, so what is your history with this movie? When did you first see it? 2018, I think it was. Um, and I heard about it. I was listening to the Blood Brothers podcast, another horror movie podcast, and they did a segment like covering kind of like what we do on the VHS vault, like talking about, you know, kind of forgotten movies. Like maybe you haven't heard of this or seen this one and it's really cool. Check it out. And they had a segment on there where somebody was talking about this movie and what I heard about it was like, oh, that's all the things I love about horror movies. Like, I really got to check this film out. And at the time, it was really easy to find on YouTube. And I found a decent um, version on YouTube and I watched it and I instantly fell in love with it and had to have it. And luckily, Severn had put on a whole package, a deal with the Blu-ray release. Uh, I got a T-shirt, a poster, um, you know, the air freshener for the car, the enamel pin, the whole deal. So, um yeah, it was like love at first 
sound. You know, the first sound I heard about it, I was like, I'm into this movie. And of course, Goblin doing the, the score for it was perfect. And I, I love that. It also, the Blu-ray comes with the audio of the, the entire score of the film too on CD. So that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. That one's in my car as we speak. And I feel, I feel like then you must've told me about it right around that time. Cause I feel like that was Probably. around the time that we met. Yeah. I was telling everybody about this movie, so <laughs> I'm sure I brought it up. And that's one of the first conversations Owen and I had, I brought up this movie too. And so the fact that we got to finally talk about it is cool. Would you would you say this is like one of your like benchmark movies where you can really kind of determine um, how much you're going to get along with someone based on their feelings about this movie? I would say, and most people that I mention it to have never seen it. Mm-hmm. So I have to have first introduce them to it, have them watch it, and then we talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's. It's one of, and it's one of the movies that if you want to know my horror movie personality, like this is definitely one of the films that I would put in that um, category of, you know, here's if you want to get to know me through horror movies, this is going to be one of the ones you have to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I can definitely see that. And what's always been fun for me, especially when you get those movies that are so ingrained in your personality. Sometimes I don't even care necessarily if someone likes it. I just want to have a good conversation about it. Like, yeah. Like if you, you know, if someone, if I have one of those movies and someone absolutely hates it, it's like, that's cool. Let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I would be a little butt hurt to talk to someone who hated <laughs> the film probably because I love it so much, but um, I would still probably talk to them about it. Yeah. Like, they can I, be wrong. It's fine. And I, like, so this, this is a movie that um, I knew the title. Um, more so the the uh, Italian title because even if I can't pronounce it, you don't forget a title like sure. that. Uh, because Beyond the Darkness is a pretty generic title. It's, it is, and there's a million other movies with that yeah, name. I feel I like I, it, I feel like there was probably like you could have done a whole section at you know some mom and pop video store just movies with Beyond the Darkness or some variation of that title. Yeah, for um, sure. And like I said, I knew of Joe D'Amato, um, but I'm so glad I got to see this because I'm I'm really excited to see more of his movies you need to see anthropophagus next i have that movie yeah you need to watch it okay because it's it it's different it's i think it's not as good as boy omega but there are some pretty shocking moments in that one you know if you want to talk about gore and um you know what damato can do with gore effects to make you feel like throwing up there's a very iconic scene. Oh, I saw, I saw it in your episode. You saw it in my episode. So it's definitely a worthwhile watch. It's a, a different feel. Um, but again, it's set in Europe. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements of that film. It's a little bit more nautical, which is kind of fun. There's a water element to that one. I think there's um, a, it, it's a worthwhile watch. I think nautical horror films are, there's not a lot of them. Like there, there's, there's, in the grand scheme of things, there's been a lot of them made, but like there haven't been a lot of like truly memorable ones. And I think it's a missed opportunity. There's something just inherently scary about the water and boats. And this one is a different take okay. on the water. Um, it doesn't, majority of it doesn't take place on the water, but the water has something to do with why all of these things are happening. So it's definitely worth watching, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it once you've seen it. Oh, yeah. I guess I plan to probably watch it in, in the pretty near future just because, 
like I said, I, I, I was really enamored by this movie and it snuck up on me in a really interesting way where, nice. like I said, I, I knew go like once the movie began, and I, you've seen enough. If you've seen enough Italian horror films that weren't made by Argento, like they, right. they just have a certain look, a certain feel. Like 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 Owen said, you know, it has kind of like mm-hmm. the washed out color palette. Some of that yeah. has to do with um, the film stock that they were shooting at it, shooting on in Italy, um, and also they were probably um, going for a little more of a dreamy look. So I wouldn't be surprised if they rubbed Vaseline on the lens. Uh, sure, that old trick. Um, you know, so it just kind of had a certain vibe to it. Um, it was, um, finding out that Joe D'Amato also shot the film, um, which is actually kind of crazy, like how much handheld shots they had in this movie for the time period that it was made. Um, you know, it, it feels very run and gun and not necessarily in a bad way. Um, but like, I, I was like, okay, I kind of have an idea of what this is going to be because I've seen other Italian films that have a similar type of opening that don't work as well for me. Mm-hmm. But this movie did definitely sneak up on me. And on this show, we like to talk about like a moment in, in the movie that is your thrill house moment, the moment that kind yeah. of like sold you on it. And, and sucking the titties, wasn't it? That was the thrill house moment. That was one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, my love for gothic horror films, like once he got to the point of, of like digging up her grave and the way that that sh- scene was filmed. I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, grave digging. That's an old Gothic trope. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. Like I said, for me, it was truly that bathtub scene. Cause it's mm-hmm. like in that moment you get the height of storytelling from Joe, from Joe D'Amato. Um, you know, say what you want about his Uber as a filmmaker, as a whole, that scene showed that he always had his fingers enough on the pulse and on story mm-hmm. and character to know what he was doing. You had that combined with just a really fucking grody death. And I was like, okay, whatever he shows me from here on out, whether I like, I love it or hate it, I'm fucking it. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I would have to say my thrill house moment is probably the same scene, you know, um, and it's the buildup right before that, you know, because we get that iconic taxidermy scene, which is like already you're like, holy fuck. But then we get the bathtub scene right after that. It's like the hits just keep on coming. And that's where if you want to talk thrill house, I think that's where it really comes through having it, uh, you know, on the heels of what we just saw. Yeah. And Joe D'Amato said that he doesn't feel like he's um, he's very good at directing suspense. And I can see why he's saying that, but there is a, a moment in this film, like a scene in this film that I thought actually had some, had some really nice moments of suspense. It was throughout the film, he is being pursued by this guy who works at a funeral home who believes that he's up to no good. Mm-hmm. And through multiple different moments, he's trying to sneak his way onto the property and look around. Um, but there is that scene. I think it's the second time he gets on the grounds and he finally finds the bedroom that Frank has mm-hmm. kept Anna in. And you see the bed that, because throughout the entire movie, Frank just pretty much puts Anna's body in a bed and puts a sheet over it yeah. until he wants to ogle her again. Um, and he gets up to that bed and you see that you see that there's something underneath the covers and he pulls away the covers and there's nothing fucking there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then if I'm remembering correctly, her body is like in a closet 
Yes. Yes. yes he, and that's a jump scare moment. Yeah, but it's a it's, an earn, it's a really well earned jump scare moment because mm-hmm. um uh it's like a it's just this great bait and switch moment and I was like you know Joe bottle I think you're being a little hard on yourself I think you're better at this than you expect you know just because yeah. you made you know thirteen movies in nineteen eighty eight or nineteen ninety eight does not mean you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, no, he he, just, he had some good moments in this one. It, it kept me entertained, and it still keeps me entertained every time I watch it. Yeah, because like when I went into watching it, because like I said, you've seen enough Italian horror films, you kind of have an idea of what to expect from the vibes of the film. Sure. And uh, as much as I love them, sometimes I just have to be in the right headspace for them. Absolutely. Um, especially if I'm going to watch... I also didn't know if this was going to be subtitled or dubbed, and if I'm just not in a very paying attention mood, yep. I will just lose interest. So, but I was like, okay, I got to watch this movie. I want to watch it with enough time. So that way, in case I, for whatever reason, can't focus on it tonight, I can watch it tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. Cause I'm also, I'm a big proponent of watch what is right for you in that moment. Yeah. And sometimes with doing this show, sometimes you just kind of have to force yourself to watch something, but yeah, caught my attention because i i went into it not sure not sure if i was going to be in the mood for it it fucking snapped my attention and it'll do that yeah it'll do that so yeah i highly recommend everyone go check this movie out um like i said i feel like we're we're kind of wrapping up here a little bit but was there anything else you wanted to talk about with beyond the darkness things that you like things that maybe you didn't like as much or just overall thoughts or even just you know other italian horror films that you love you know, I got no criticism for this film. Like, I mean, what sense would it do to criticize it at this point? You know, yeah. it's 40 some years old, but it, it, it's got, like I said, everything I love about horror movies pretty much is in here, except for like a comedy element, but I find my own comedy in it. So yeah, and I, I'm also glad there wasn't a forced comedy element <laughs> yeah. because so many times you will you'll get those 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 forced comedy moments and they don't translate well when yeah. they when they go from um you know from the subtitles to the dub and then they just fall flat but i'm right. like you where i can find my own comedy moments yep. in these absolutely and you know just just that it's it's weird it's obscure i mean if you were to compare this to an argento film like Suspiria, for example. I mean, two completely different movies, obviously, in premise mm-hmm. and all of those things. And but execution and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Italian horror movies are not, you know, you can't paint them with a, a, a broad stroke, is what I'm saying. Like, how different D'Amato's films are from Argento's, from Fulci. You know, um, you get a lot of the same, I guess, visual sort of things or like um, vibes from a lot of these films, but how they're executed is so different. And I like that D'Amato's kind of grimy, Yeah, you know, his shit is kind of grimy and, and I love Argento's visuals and how polished his films are and, and how beautiful they are. And also they're kind of have a, that notes of grime to them as well. I mean, there are some kills in some of his movies that are just like, just perfect in in terms of being fucking nasty. Um, But D'Amato through those little, you know, I I think like elements like this Oedipus complex, complex between Iris and Frank, like 
that's some of this shit is untouchable. You know, the necrophilia stuff, like a lot of people don't fuck with that shit. And I like that D'Amato's like, hell yeah, man, I make porn. Let's do this. You know? And, and he brings some of that sleaze into it. It's funny. So like often like in the upper echelon of Italian filmmakers, if you know, they're almost like two sides of the same coin. You can't talk about Argento without also talking about Fulci. And Mm -hmm. I would always, you know, say that like, Oh, well, Fulci is the uh, is the sle is like the sleazy cousin of Argento, and then you got sure. Diamato, who's the even sleazier cousin of Fulci. Right, right. And I like all of it. Yeah. You know, I dig all of it. And I mean, I love American horror films oh, as definitely. well. Tons of you know, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two is my favorite horror movie of all time, and that's Toby Hooper. And what I love about that is how Toby Hooper comes back from making one of the most influential horror films of our time to then his sequel going completely the other direction and basically making a sleazy horror comedy that it's like trolling the audience fun. with it. Yeah. It's lovely. I will. I love that shit. I do too. You know? And you know what my favorite thing I have found about the Italian horror world is they are endlessly watchable because so many of them feel like a fever dream. Yes. Where I have seen Deep Red so many times, but gun to my head, I could not tell you what the fuck that movie's about because it's like after I watch it, I'm like, wow, that was wild. And then I kind of forget what it was about. And then every it feels like every time I watch it, it's like watching it again for the first time because like, shit, that's what this movie's about. I fucking love Deep Red. I'll talk to you about that movie all day long. I love that movie. I love the music. I love the storyline. I think that is how we met was on a Deep Red episode of... Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. (laughs) I fucking love that movie so much that I might even like it better than Suspiria at this point. Like Suspiria has a lot to love, you know, the music and the visuals Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff is amazing. There's some badass kills in that one too. Uh, But there's something about Deep Red. I don't know. Uh, Profondo Rosso, if you will. Uh, You know, I like my Italian titles. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something about that movie that gets me every time. And really, I think it's it's so close to my heart because of the reveal of the killer. We won't spoil it for people who maybe haven't seen it, but um, it's so the killer's, good. It, it, yeah, it's like the second time I watched it, I also forgot once again forgot about it. Yeah. So like when it yeah. came up again, it it was just so well done. And honestly, like the way that you feel about. Um, uh, deep red i almost feel like it's you don't forget the the first argento film that turns you on to him mm-hmm. and that's often how i feel about the bird of the crystal plumage it's like mm-hmm. no matter how many of the other films i love by him that's the one i keep going back to because that's the film that made him click for me yeah it's the warm fuzzy movie for you you know in a way like and and I feel like that it's kind of like deep red for me. I don't know. I get in these moods where it's like all I want to do is watch Italian horror. Like I just want to be, you know, transported to that time period, to that, to the the visuals. Like the the sets are gorgeous. You know, these buildings and the architecture and the style of the way that everything looks. Like I just I don't know. I dig it and I dig the vibes and I love the music. I mean, Goblin is amazing. I dig all of that stuff. And it there it it's a whole vibe to me that I don't know, you just can't find it in other films quite like that. So 
that's what I like about Italian horror. But, you know, I love a lot of horror movies mm-hmm. and each kind of uh, subgenre. I love certain films for different reasons. And I think the artist in me loves Italian horror because it just feels a little bit artsy, art house, you know, mm-hmm. like you said. And I think that's what really appeals to me more than anything. So before we wrap up, this question just came to my mind. If you had to make do a burlesque piece for this film, do you think you could do you think you you would have any ideas? You don't have to necessarily spoil what oh, you would do. Absolutely. I mean, hello. Who are you talking to? Here? I, I, <laughs> I've thought about it. The question is, have you done it? I haven't done it. But I've thought about it. And the only reason I haven't done it is because this movie is too obscure. The audience would not get it. And and as much as it doesn't matter if the audience gets it or not, I get all that. Um, part of what I have, my time for creating is obviously limited, right? So I like to go with things that are easily understood um, for the audiences that I have at this time. Um I have, I mean, I have a Hell Comes to Frogtown act in the back of my head. You know, I've, I have notes on, on a Deep Red act. Yeah, I I mean, I have all kinds of acts that I would love to do, but that the audiences that I have at this time are just not going to get it. And so it's a lot of time and effort to put into something that won't fully translate for the audiences that I have available to me. Um, If I was doing a show, a burlesque show for a horror convention, that's a different story because I know that my audience is going to understand these references. Or at least more Um, people than not will get it. Yes. The return and the investment is going to be greater if my audience understands the film that that this is inspired by gets the reference. My Texas Chainsaw Massacre act, people get the reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, my zombie number, people get the reference. You know, these are these are iconic images that even if you don't like horror movies, you know who the fuck Leatherface is. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, these things translate just a little bit better. But, um, you know, it's it, it's not to say I won't ever do it. Because um, I love the music from the movie, and I would absolutely pick something, you know, from the score. At least use that in some way. Uh, typically, in my numbers, I combine music or or dialogue from the film with, you know, the song that I want to dance to. If it wasn't in the film necessarily, um, it somehow it relates, whether it's the lyrics or something like that. Um, I'm actually just getting started on conceptualizing something for my next show. So I'm just in that beginning phase of like, how do I want to put this together? You know, what story am I trying to tell with this number? And there's a lot of stories that can be told about horror movies through burlesque. And what I like to do often is take horror elements and act them out in my burlesque, but bring other elements in. Um, My Texas Chainsaw Massacre act is commentary of course on the film but also um i have a victim in the film or in the in the burlesque number that i kill uh as part of this and part of that is uh, me sort of playing out like killing the the uh conventionally attractive woman that society has told me that i should be and that if i'm not her i'm not acceptable and me basically killing that and being my own version of beautiful in this number. And it gives people weird boners, but 
it's a lot of fun, you know, and I get to do my thing. I get to uh, put my spin on, you know, one of the most iconic horror killers of all time and my favorite villain, uh, Leatherface. So uh, who's to say that I won't come up with something for, for Buoy Omega in some way, or at least use the music or some of the elements, um, you know, I could do some necrophilia on stage, perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> you got to stay tuned to find out. <laughs> well, that was a beautiful answer. Thank you very much for coming on the show with me. Oh, my gosh. And thank you for having me. You know, I'll come back anytime. I know. I know. And now that it's pretty much just me uh, freewheeling for the foreseeable future, I probably will take you up on that a little bit Hell more yeah. often. Let's talk about movies. You know I'm good for it. Oh, definitely. Um, before we go, is there anything else you wanted to pitch, plug, or re-mention? I just want everybody to go follow the VHS Vault podcast. We are really excited about this. We got our first season in the can almost. Um, and, you know, for a first season, two of us just sort of flying by the seat of our pants, having never had our own podcast before, I think it's turning out really good. And I think people are going to be excited about it, but we got to get the word out. So that's really my focus right now is trying to get people to listen and to give us some feedback, you know, rate us, um, send us an email, you know, hook up with us on social media, DM us on Instagram, whatever. Like if you like what we're doing, let us know. And if you don't like what we're doing, I mean, I guess let us know too, but like you should really like the, what we're the doing. Be, the best review I ever got for my show was actually a negative review. Uh, really? Back when Nick was, uh, when we were on uh, public access radio or public access television in Maryland, yeah. I I might have to cut this story out. Just No, actually, no, he's not on the show anymore. I don't have to cut it out. Um, there is a, uh, there was a guy who, because he always put us on late night because we swore, and even though he had to painstakingly go through and edit out all my swears, so I would uh -huh. intentionally swear more, um, we still had to put us on late night. And apparently there was this one guy every who would watch us every night and hate watch us, and he emailed us and <laughs> and said... Um, I'm really getting sick of the move of the nose ring movie talk show where they just sit in their bedroom and talk about movies. And I was like, nose ring. Nose Is he talking about you? Yeah. It's like nose ring movie talk. That's such a better <laughs> name than what I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well then I hope he watches our YouTube videos and calls, calls us Mohawk and country singer movie talk. <laughs> And I'll, I'll make I'll, I'll sweeten the pot for anyone. If anyone out there who's listening likes the VHS Vault podcast and screen and screenshots it and sends the image to me, I'll send you a free sticker. Hey, how's that for some promo? I like it. I like it. And then um, um, I will say this to you: if you can get Owen, if you and Owen can record like a little like thirty second to minute trailer with a little bit of music, I will put it on the next couple episodes. Hell yeah. We got you. We'll do it tomorrow. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. As I said before, and, um, as I, it's, it's, I'm, I haven't, I don't know if I quite like this, this call, this, this ending of the show, but, uh, stay tuned. Shame time, shame place, shameless picture show. Bye. The shameless picture show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Byers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. 
The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.